Hello, and welcome to First Baptist Church. Let's pray together. Lord, now through your word and by your spirit, let us see Jesus. Let us see Jesus high and lifted up. Let us be drawn unto Jesus. Lord, we pray that every person who is participating in this service today, all of us, would have clarity on who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and what it means to be in Christ, what it means to have eternal hope in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so now speak to our hearts. Lay aside all of our distractions. Focus our attention on you and transform us by the renewing of our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. I think my greatest prayer for all of us this week is clarity. I believe we need some clarity in our journey with Jesus. Because there may be some of you who are in this room or in another room participating with us who may have some faulty assumptions about what it means to be in Christ. You may be thinking that because you're a part of a church service right now that you're in Christ. You may be thinking that because you put some money in the offering plate that you're in Christ. You may be thinking that because you have a family member who goes to church regularly that you are in Christ. You may be thinking that because you grew up in America that you are in Christ. But the clarity that this week brings cuts through the confusion. We're going to see that today. The people on Palm Sunday were deeply confused about who Jesus was. And I pray that for you and me that we would not be deeply confused about who Jesus is. Because we're going to see that those who are confused about who Jesus is miss out on the blessing of a relationship with him. Those who are confused about who Jesus is miss out on the blessing of forgiveness and eternal life in him. So today we're going to look at those who cried Hosanna, and we're going to see how their cry changed in just a few days. But I pray through it all that we would have clarity about who Jesus is and what he's done and what it means to be in Christ and to know beyond the shadow of a doubt. Some of you may say, I don't think you can know. You can know beyond the shadow of a doubt that when your life on this earth comes to an end, you're going to heaven. You can know that. We're going to see that today. I want to invite you to open your Bible to Mark chapter 11. That doesn't say that in the bulletin. We're going to get to Mark chapter 15, but we're going to start at Mark chapter 11. And if you're in the Pew Bible in front of you, that is page 847. Page 847. As you turn there, I want to ask you about the last time you had to face something that you didn't want to face, but you didn't have a choice. If you've lived long enough, you've done, I mean, kids, it may be a test that you really aren't prepared for. But you got to go because it's going to happen. And maybe you've already called in sick once and that's enough. You got to face it. You got to go through it. You got to walk through it. And, and as you age, the tests get a little bigger, don't they? Maybe, maybe it's a hard conversation that you have to have with somebody else. You ever have to have hard conversations as adults? Or maybe it's some sort of intervention. I heard just recently about a family that had to intervene with somebody who was going hard off course. And they weren't looking forward to it, but they knew they had to do it because the alternative was unacceptable. Maybe, maybe you've been subpoenaed. And if you've ever been subpoenaed, you know how fun that is. You've been served. Congratulations. 
And now you get to be mediated or deposed or testify on the stand, and that's fun. Or maybe you're trying to figure out what the problem is, and you've gone through the battery of diagnostic tests, and now you've got to go meet with the physician, and you're not real sure what they're going to tell you, but you've got to go. Maybe you are that physician. And you've got the test results, and you know the news that you're getting ready to deliver to this person is going to change their life. And you don't have a choice. You've got to go. We all, in one way or another, understand what it is to have to face something we don't want to face, but we don't have a choice. Well, can I tell you something this morning? Jesus knows that. Aren't you glad that we have a Lord who's not aloof, but who who walked this earth, whose feet got dusty, and who walked through the same sorts of things we walked through, who understands the struggles that we face, who understands the pain that we feel. He's felt it all. And he set his face like a flint to go through it. Well, you may be asking why for you and for me. But not only did he set his face like a flint to go through that, also add to that the fickle crowds around him. The theme of the message today is this, Jesus faced fickleness. Jesus faced fickleness. Crowds that lauded him in one moment and condemned him in another moment. On top of everything that he was going to go through, he had to have piled upon it the opinions of the crowd that we're not in secret. So today, we're going to see that Jesus faced fickleness. Mark chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. John Mark writes, as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And when they went, they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing, untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who, were followed, were, those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Our first point today is this. Jesus faced fickle crowds who lauded him. L-A-U-D-E-D. Ricky, I thought since we sang it, I could use it today. Is that okay? Fickle crowds who lauded him. Jesus came into Jerusalem, this swelling crescendo, millions of people there at the city for the celebration of Passover. This is a big deal. And as Jesus came in on the colt, they cried out. Why did he go to Jerusalem? Well, Jesus knew his mission, that the hour had come for the Son of Man to be glorified, and his glory would not look like what they all expected it to look like. They expected him to ride in Jerusalem, the conquering king. 
he was going as the humble servant. Poor, humble, Galilean peasant, marginalized, though he is God in flesh. But they had a glimmer of hope. They thought, maybe he is the one. They had heard about Lazarus. Lazarus had been dead. He was dead no longer. That'll stir up some news. They had heard about the healings. They had heard about the miracles. They had heard about the bread and the fishes. They had heard about all of it. And so they thought, maybe, just maybe, this is the answer. And so as he came in, they sang a song. It was a song that they would sing at the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a song that they would sing during the Passover. It was, frankly, the last song Jesus sang with his disciples. It's Psalm 118. It's one of the Egyptian Hillel Psalms, Psalms 13, 113 through 118. And it's, it's a group of psalms that they would sing that would remind them of their journey out of Egypt. That's why it's the Egyptian Hillel Psalms. And they would sing about God's victory for their people so many years ago. But keep in mind that that was 1,446 or so years before the birth of Christ. It's been a long time. But every year they would sing with expectation that God would visit his people through his Messiah. And now, here comes this Jesus, and Lazarus is alive, and he's coming in as Zechariah had prophesied that he would come. And so they start to sing. And in Psalm 118, verses 19 through 26, the psalm goes, Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. Oh, Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. And you know, on Palm Sunday, you join in the song. We sang it just a moment ago. But most of us don't realize we're joining in the song because what we translate into English, Oh, save us now, O Lord, in the original Hebrew was Hoshiana. But then in the Greek was Hosanna. And then they transliterated it to English. They changed the Greek letters to English letters, so we sing Hosanna, and most of us have no clue what we're saying. At least I didn't for a couple of decades, right? Hosanna! What does it mean? It means save us, rescue us, redeem us. We have brothers and sisters on the other side of the world right now who are singing Hosanna in their own language. But Hosanna feels a little different in Ukraine today. Oh, Lord, save us now. We are under oppression. It is a plea for God to intervene and to help. And you know what that plea feels like, don't you? You know those moments when you've cried out, save us now. Matter of fact, Lord, if you don't, if you don't save us now, we're not going to make it. Well, these people were under Roman oppression, and they felt it. They felt it every time they had to give so much of their income to Rome. They felt it every time they had to defer to the Roman officials who were in the land that God said would be theirs. They felt it as they recognized that though they were in their home, it didn't feel like home. And so they were desperate for God to move. You ever been desperate for God to move? Save us now, we pray. 
And so as Jesus comes in, he's riding on a donkey. Have you ever wondered why? Why is it the colt, the foal of a donkey? Well, Zechariah tells us, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. But you know, Zechariah's prophecy doesn't end there. A few verses down in verse 16, he says, On that day the Lord their God will save them as the flock of his people, for like the jewels of a crown, they shall shine on his land. So what are they hearing in their hearts as they cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. As they wave palm branches and throw their cloaks down for the the colt, the foal of a donkey to walk upon as Jesus enters into Jerusalem. They believe their deliverer is at hand, and that must mean their deliverance is at hand. God's going to answer the prayers. Rome's time is limited. Soon the Messiah will overthrow this oppressive regime that is holding us down. Soon our deliverance is coming. Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They lauded him. They worshiped him. They praised him. But there was a disconnect. And here's the disconnect. Jesus didn't come to deliver them from governmental oppression. Jesus came to deliver them from satanic oppression. And while everybody in Sunday school would agree that satanic oppression is much more serious than governmental oppression, when we're just walking on the earth, looking at the Roman soldiers, paying taxes to the people that are oppressing us, it doesn't feel like satanic oppression is more serious than governmental oppression. But that's what Jesus had come, to deliver them from satanic oppression of their souls. Because here's what Jesus knew. The difficulty that they were facing in that moment was remarkably temporary. Can I encourage you this morning? I don't know what you're going through. But whatever difficulty you're facing right now, it is remarkably temporary. It will pass. If you're in Jesus Christ, you have eternity to look forward to. If you're in Jesus Christ, he holds your life in his hand, and he will finish the good work that he has begun in you. If you're in Jesus Christ, whatever you're going through does not have the final word for you. Jesus does. And that final word is life that is full and abundant and everlasting with him forever in glory, with a glory that so far surpasses any of the suffering you've ever had to face. But you got to be in Jesus. And to be in Jesus, you got to understand who Jesus is and why he came. Jesus understood his mission. The crowds misunderstood. They thought their deliverer from Rome had come. Jesus was going to set them free from Satan. But they didn't want that. Turn with me just a page or two over to Mark chapter 15. We're going to page 852, if you're in the Red Pew Bible. And skip on down to verse 6. This is Friday. Palm Sunday was on a Sunday. This is Friday. It would turn out to be Good Friday. 
Now at the feast, he, he is Pilate here. Jesus has gone through his trial. He's been falsely accused. He's been hit. He's been, he's, he's, he's gone through it all. And now at the feast, Pilate used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Second point. Jesus faced fickle crowds who condemned him. Jesus faced fickle crowds who condemned him. Jesus' approval ratings went down pretty quick. Can that happen? Can everybody be really excited about a political leader that they'll put into office, and then when it doesn't turn out the way they hoped it would turn out, the approval ratings go down, the midterms come, and all the things that happen in the world of politics happen? Can that happen? Well, Jesus' approval rating went down remarkably because he, as it turns out, had not come to liberate them from Rome. And so not only did some of them acquiesce into silence, they're not shouting Hosanna anymore. Others of them turned on him. They weren't just disappointed. They were mad. They weren't just disappointed. They were angry. They wanted retribution. How dare you give us false hope? How dare you get us stirred up to think that this oppression would come to an end? How dare you? So when Pilate asked, what should I do with him? Those who had just days before cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Now cry out, crucify him. We don't need him anymore. Get rid of him. In fact, as you do, make a spectacle of him. Make a spectacle, spectacle of this one who would blaspheme Almighty God by saying that he was the Son of God, the Messiah of God. You make a spectacle out of him. Put him outside the busiest gate of the city on the busiest path at the busiest time of the year. Nail him to that old rugged cross that's far away from Bowling Green, Kentucky, but it wasn't far away from the crowds outside the city of Jerusalem. You get rid of him. We don't need him anymore. You ever felt like God had let you down? I have. There's no point in hiding it. He knows already. You know that, right? But here's what I'm finding in my vast 41 years of life. Those moments when I thought God had let me down, he was actually leading me in a better direction. He was working things together for my good, and I couldn't see how it would work out in the moment. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here and now. He was working things together for good to all people 
because he opens his arms and says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He would welcome even the people who are here shouting, crucify him, to come to him and find grace. You remember what he whispered as they put him on the cross. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And I just imagine that there's been so many times when those same words have come out of Jesus' mouth as he sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty and looks at Jeff Reynolds. Father, forgive him. He knows not what he's doing. That's the sort of love and grace that God has for us in Jesus Christ. It's the sort of grace that would meet us with love even when we're mad. Because Jesus very easily could have again called down legions of angels at this point. Saved himself. Walked away from it all. And the, the crowds that cried crucify, and he got exactly what they deserved. But Jesus didn't come so that we would get what we deserve. He came so that we would get grace. And in order for us to get grace, he had to go to that old rugged cross. And he had to die. Because there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. And the wages of sin is death. And all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus faced the fickleness of crowds who lauded him and then just a few days later condemned him. But I want you to go back with me to the beginning of chapter 15. I know we're all out of order today. But Mark chapter 15, look at verses 1 through 6. I want us to see one more thing. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Third and final point today is this. Jesus faced fickle crowds with steadfast resolution. Jesus faced fickle crowds with steadfast resolution. Isaiah 53 is the fourth of four servant songs the prophet Isaiah wrote seven centuries before the coming of Christ. But anybody looks at Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12 and says, that's Jesus. Even people who don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah look and say, that's uncanny. But you know what the prophet said about the servant of the Lord? He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And Pilate was amazed. Peter would write in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 22 through 24, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. 
He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. He didn't open his mouth. The charges were trumped up. They weren't even true. He didn't fight back. He just went. Pilate was amazed. The people were so angry. They wanted a Messiah who would fight. They wanted a Messiah who would restore the glory of Israel. Not a suffering servant who would acquiesce to death, even death on a cross. But remember that Jesus had said, no one takes my life from me. Freely I lay it down. Freely I will take it up again. Why? For you. The crowds did not have clarity on who Jesus was. And so they lauded him and then they condemned him because he didn't do what they wanted. Do you have clarity on who Jesus is? Do you believe that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God who came to this earth and lived a life without sin? Do you believe that God loved you so much that he took your sin and placed it upon Jesus, declared you guilty, but then took your sin and placed it upon Jesus and carried out your punishment on him? Do you believe that? Do you believe that on that cross, Jesus was dying to pay the price for your sin and to pay for it in full? Do you believe that they buried him in a borrowed tomb? And do you believe that on the third day, very early in the morning, when the woman went to minister to his dead body, it wasn't there anymore? The angel said, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. We're headed there next week. But before we get there, we got to descend to and through the passion. I pray that God would give you clarity, that all of your hope for heaven would be in Jesus Christ alone, crucified and resurrected. All you have to do is ask, Lord, I surrender all of me to you, for you gave all of you for me. I pray that if you've never given your life to Christ, that today would be the day that you say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, but I believe you're the Savior. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. You are my only hope of heaven. I trust you. I will follow you. I bring you nothing. Not church attendance, not participation, not service, nothing. I got nothing, Lord, other than sin. And I ask for your mercy. And I commit my life to Jesus. If that's you, do that now. And walk into Holy Week, seeing more clearly than ever before who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Let's pray. Father, you sent your son for us. Jesus, you endured it all for the glory of God the Father and for the good of us. We did not deserve any of it, but you surrendered yourself so that we might have life. In response, we surrender our all to you yet again. And we surrender it today and tomorrow and every subsequent day until you take us home to glory. For we know in you is life, and that life is eternal.
in Jesus' name, amen.